Welcome again to the Walla Walla University Church. We are delighted that you have been with us uh, for worship so far, and we are uh, extremely um, spoilt by those who have participated. I want to uh, thank our musicians who have made music for us and also our intern pastors from the Walla Walla uh, School of Theology who continue to serve well as they are with us for this school year. It's been a snowy week or so here in the Walla Walla Valley and maybe where you are as well, wherever you're watching from, but we are glad that there is some cessation of snow and we pray that the weather as we turn from winter to spring also brings with it hope for our future. We're going to continue today with our sermon series in the book of Jeremiah, but before we do so, let me invite you to pray with me. Father in heaven, we ask that for these next few moments, that your spirit, which has been present, will continue to be with us. Lord, we pray that you will remove the distractions that we may have. We ask that our hearts and minds will be attentive to the spirit of Jesus. And we pray that after our time together, we might be more like him, who is the desire of ages. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So every now and again, there is a well-worn visual meme or picture which goes around online. And if you've seen this before, I'm going to ask that you would strain, uh, you would withhold yourself and not blurt out the answer. What I want you to do is to answer this question when the picture on the screen comes up. And the question that you're going to answer is, what do you see? What do you see? We're going to have two pictures, and the first one is this. You should have this up on your screen. What do you see when you look at this picture? Now, there are some of you who are going to look at this and say, well, I know what this is. This is a young woman facing away to the right. There is her nose. There's her eyelids. Here's her chin. Here's her ears. This is a young woman facing to the right. And some of you are going to say, no, absolutely not. What I see is an old woman. And in fact, this is her nose. This is her mouth. And this is her hair. This is an old woman. And of course, all of us looking at this can argue, and there are some of you who are probably very proud saying, actually, I see both the young woman and I see the old uh, lady as well. Let's look at the next picture, and I'm going to ask you the same question. What do you see? Now, there are some of you who are going to say immediately, and if we have any uh, young people watching, you are going to say immediately, I can see that this is a rabbit, a rabbit. There are the ears of the rabbit, there's the eyes of the rabbit, and it's facing to my left. And there are others who are going to say, what are you talking about? This is not a rabbit, it's a duck. And the duck is facing to the right, that's the duck's beaks, and there is the duck's eyes. This particular image was made famous by Ludwig uh, um, Wittgenstein, who actually included it in his work, Philosophical Investigations, in the late 19th century. And he 
actually looked at this picture and came to the conclusion that this uh, was actually a way in which people looked at reality and tried to make sense of what they were seeing. He wasn't sure, though, if this picture that we are seeing, this duck rabbit picture, was telling us that when people see this picture, the external world stays the same, but the internal cognitive understanding of the world changes. And there are others who came along and said, well, we're not sure. Perhaps this idea of seeing is an idea of perception versus interpretation. And back and forth they went. Now, there are much smarter people than me who have gone back and forth trying to understand what happens when we see and we perceive. Is this because of our cognitive process? Do we see differently because of our place of origin? Do we see differently because of our age? What happens when we see? And before we go on, I want to go back to another one our final uh, cognitive uh, um, picture that often goes around the internet. And this one was maybe three or four years ago. And I've made a definitive statement that the dress, let's put this up, was in fact blue and black because there were others in the population who looked at this dress and they actually saw a gold and white dress. But I believe that this dress is categorically blue and black. And if you disagree with me, I'm going to say that you are just wrong. But in all seriousness, we can agree that perception, this process of organizing and interpreting sensory information that comes into our eyes, our perception affects our behavior. Perception is important because people's behavior is based on perception. If you're a parent, for example, you know how important it is and you recognize the headache that you will face for hours if you slice a cake at a birthday party and you give your son a piece of the cake, but your daughter thinks that same slice of cake that she got was smaller. Their perception of reality will cause you a headache. We know that there are baseball players whose perception and ability to see a ball that travels at 90 to 100 miles an hour and to hit it 450 feet will make them millions of dollars a year. We know how tragic the circumstances uh, can be if in a confrontation, someone reaching into their pocket to pull out a phone is perceived to be reaching for a gun and it can lead not to just a conversation, but in fact to a sad uh, funeral and to the loss of life. How we see and how we perceive affects our behavior, and it is crucial, and it is important. Just last month, we saw in our very uh, nation, in the capital, a group of people who had perceived that there was electoral fraud and that they could not trust the integrity of the electoral system, and because of their perception of reality, They were moved to action and there were consequences based on their perception. And maybe this is why 
reading today's text in Jeremiah chapter 1, recognizing that what we see influences what we do Uh, Because of this, when I read through for the first time Jeremiah chapter 1, I saw some things that I want to bring our attention to this afternoon. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, maybe you were not here last week and you've just switched on and you're watching for the first time, I'm delighted that you are joining us. We're in the book of Jeremiah and Jeremiah was a 7th century prophet who lived a fool purposeful life that spilled outside of the containers that society tried to build and to restrain his life to. If you've read the book of Jeremiah before, you may know him as the weeping prophet, and you may know that Jeremiah speaks about the nation of Israel. But if we look at Jeremiah's life carefully, we realize that not only his theology, but in fact his biography give us some important lessons that we can learn as followers of Jesus. Jeremiah lived a life where he plunged into a life of faith, participating in what God was initiating in his life. Jeremiah lived a life where he explored the full gambit of what it meant to be fully human, to be fully alive. We know more about the life of Jeremiah than any other prophet in the Bible. And his biography, like I said, is as instructive as his theology. In the book of Jeremiah, you will find narratives of imprisonment, commitment to God's command, uh, not to marry, not to have kids. There are weird stories in Jeremiah where he digs a hole, takes his underwear off, throws it in the hole, covers it, pulls it out again. It's a strange book. It's an incredible book. There are uh, stories of Jeremiah having to face false accusations of treason, of being exiled to Egypt. There is Jeremiah during the period of time when Josiah the reformer comes and he speaks as an instrument of God. Jeremiah, you see, lived at an important time at the very um, edge of national transition. And as a prophet, he offered urgent and necessary moral critique against the idolatry and the injustice of his nation. Jeremiah preached during the reign of five kings from the reform of Josiah through to the exile under Zedekiah. But in Jeremiah chapter one, and that's where we'll be today if you want to get there in your Bible or or, uh, get there on your phone. In Jeremiah chapter one, when Jeremiah is first called to his work as a prophet, we read that he resists. Jeremiah chapter one, God calls Jeremiah and then he says, God, I'm too young. And Jeremiah in resisting the call of God because he is too young is practiced like us in pleading inadequacy so that we can avoid living at the best that God has called us to. Because you see, Jeremiah has been living a life which to this point has not been recorded. But when God steps into his life, God calls him further. God calls him into the deep. God calls him fully into his purpose. And Jeremiah pleads inadequacy. And like many of us, 
We plead inadequacy when God calls us to step into the deep, to live a full and purposeful life. We'll say, but God, I'm, I'm only a student. God, I'm only a retiree. God, I'm only a housewife. I'm only a laborer. Don't you know I only had an eighth grade education, God? I don't have enough time to be committed to what you're calling me to. I don't have enough confidence. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough training. I don't know the Bible well enough. And we plead inadequacy in the same way that Jeremiah pled inadequacy when God called him to live a full and purposeful life. But God does not relent in that moment. God recognizes that Jeremiah is feeling the weight of being a prophet but he doesn't let him go. And why does God not let him go? And why is God not letting you go when you feel the calling of your life toward his purpose? I believe the reason God does not let Jeremiah go, the reason God does not let you go is because God recognizes that his plan for your life is the best plan for who you are. Because God does not want you to live a diminished life and a small life, but he wants you to live a life full of adventure. God wants you to live a life that is purposeful. God wants you to live a life in which you are following his voice. And so in Jeremiah chapter one, uh, God basically says, mate, go. I know you're telling me you can't do it, but go, I will be with you. Don't mind the haters. Don't be afraid of their sour voices, uh, their sour faces. Don't worry, I'll be with you. I will back you every inch of the way. And then in Jeremiah chapter one, verse 10, God comes to Jeremiah and he says to him, see, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. This is what he says in response to Jeremiah's timidity. He doesn't diminish the call on his life. Instead, he doubles down and tells him, this is what you're going to do. And then he continues as he tells Jeremiah of his plan. He says that he is essentially going to use Jeremiah to live a life which is full, which is adventurous, and which is exciting. And God employs three double verbs. These verbs are there, root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, and built up in response to Jeremiah. And then he continues in verse 11 and 12. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, and pay close attention to this because we've talked about perception. God says to Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. And so there are two visions here in Jeremiah chapter one. The first is a vision of an almond branch, an almond branch from an almond tree. And God first shows him uh, this almond tree saying, I'm watching over my word to accomplish it. 
And you're going to have to stay with me for these next few moments so we can understand this strange vision that God gives to Jeremiah. God is saying, I am with it so that my word will be accomplished. There is a play on words happening here in the Hebrew because the Hebrew word for almond tree is shaked and the Hebrew word for watch is shoked. There is just a one um, letter difference. And what God is trying to tell Jeremiah through this natural lesson is fascinating because the almond tree was the first to bud in the Middle East. It was the first to bud. And so it was referred to by many as the watching tree, the awakening tree, the herald of spring. The almond tree would, uh, would excuse me, would bloom in January, but then bear fruit in March. It would bloom in January and you'd see its white petals, but it would give you fruit in March. And actually today, someone had sent me a picture of their almond tree. It was beautiful in California that was blooming because I suppose they had read our scripture and they, were, and they figured this is where we were going to go. And so the almond tree, this watching tree, tells you that spring is coming. And Jeremiah recognizes that God is watching over his word, that words like the almond blossom are promises. They are anticipations of what God is going to do. And so God says to Jeremiah, you have seen well when you see the almond tree and you recognize that there are anticipations that my word will bear fruit and will come to pass, that we will move from winter to spring, that we will move from life, excuse me, from death to life. And there is no living a life of faith, a life of purpose, whether as a prophet like Jeremiah, or as a plumber, or as a teacher, or as a professor, without some kind of sustaining vision like this. And then God continues speaking to Jeremiah, verse 13 of Jeremiah chapter 1. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and it is facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. Now, this second vision of a boiling pot, if you were confused by the first vision of the almond tree, you're probably really scratching your head when you hear God talking about a boiling pot. It's, it's a strange vision, but imagine with me that you're camping, you're out in the woods and you have a pot and you've put it and placed it on some stones or a stick and you're balancing it just right so that the heat can warm the contents of the pot and then you turn around and all of a sudden the pot has tipped over and whether it was meat or water or whatever it was, it spills out from the north in a southerly direction. This is what Jeremiah is seeing, a very domestic scene for someone living at the time of Jeremiah. He sees this pot tipped over towards the south, the wind blowing from the north, fanning the embers into fierce flames, 
causing the pot to boil so that its liquid contents overflow and trickle in a southerly direction. And as he describes the scene uh, that meets his eyes in this vision, he is given a divine word which verbalizes the substance of the vision. If you read the rest of Jeremiah chapter 1, you recognize that disaster like a strong wind coming from the north is going to blow upon the nation of Judah. That Jerusalem is going to be emptied when the winds of war come and ravage the city. And it's going to empty the city of its inhabitants. And there is going to be much pain and much suffering. And this is visualized in a boiling pot tipped over towards Judah and towards Jerusalem. It's a scalding divine judgment coming for the people of God because they had abandoned the covenant. They had abandoned a relationship with God and they suffer because of it. They had left worship of God and replaced it with vain rituals and with idolatry. And the war would interrupt their distracted lives and force them to reckon with the ultimate things, with life and with death. And so Jeremiah sees this prophetic vision of coming terror. And if I'd seen that vision, if that was me, and I was sitting on my sofa one day and God showed me a vision of an almond tree and then gave me the wisdom to understand, oh, this is talking about anticipations and promises and fruitfulness. And then God shows me a pot that spills over from a stove and he says, there's going to be war and destruction. I would find myself probably paralyzed with fear, debilitated by anxiety. But when we read the story of Jeremiah, we find that he does not suffer from debilitating fear. Jeremiah comes to understand that there is evil in the world, but he also understands and has hope from the almond rod that there is a herald of God's faithfulness and God's fruitfulness. And Jeremiah shows us how to live well in the tension between the almond branch and the boiling pot. Jeremiah reminds us that there is good and evil in a cosmic struggle at play all around us, but he doesn't allow himself to be overwhelmed by this uh, truth that he sees in the vision. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who has a book called Running with Horses that we are following very loosely in this series, says this about the two visions in Jeremiah chapter one. He says, the two visions, the blossoming almond branch and the pot of boiling water burned themselves deep into the retina of his faith. By means of these visions, he kept his balance in sanity and passion in the theater of God's glory and through the Holocaust of human sin, which is an incredible image that Jeremiah is able to um, hold in tension these two visions. And I think that if we are going to live into what God calls us, uh, calls us to in our own lives, like Jeremiah, we must live with a sense of the proportion of, yes, the wickedness and the evil in the world, but also to have a sense of hope because God 
is bringing spring into our lives. And if we live a life where we forget that newspapers are footnotes to scripture, if we live a life where we forget that what we hear on the news is not ultimate, sometimes we will find ourselves unable to get out of bed in the morning. Sometimes the news will be too bad for us to be able to deal with. If we find ourselves focusing only on the wicked and on the evil, we may find ourselves wanting to protect our children and cloistered them so that they cannot be touched by the world. We may find ourselves moving into the middle of the woods uh, simply because we see the boiling pot as the main motif for our life and we forget the almond branch and we forget the promise of God that he is with us. And if we live a life where we get our interpretation of politics and of the economy and of morals from Fox News, from MSNBC, from the Seattle Times, from the Wall Street Journal, if we get our interpretation of life Rather than just information from these places, we will find ourselves not properly balanced between the boiling pot and the almond branch. We must recognize that the truest meaning of the world is given to us by the word of God. The truest meaning of reality is framed as we become readers and listeners and doers of the word of God. And so maybe wherever you're watching, maybe you're not in the Walla Walla Valley and where you're watching, you'd say, Pastor Andreas, if you knew the crime statistics in my town or city, if you knew what was happening, you would also be afraid. You would be thinking about the boiling pot. Yes, I can understand that. Maybe you would say there are severe circumstances of injustice that I am fighting where I work. Yes, I can understand that. But the temptation often uh, depending on how we're shaped, is to underestimate God and to overestimate evil. And when we underestimate God and overestimate evil, we live a life where around every corner, where around every pronouncement, there is something for us to be afraid of. And we live diminished, truncated lives rather than the full life to the hilt uh, existence that Jeremiah shows us is possible. And of course, it's a life in which you recognize there are complexities, there are difficulties, there is pain, there is death, there is illness. But that does not mean that we cannot live a life that is full, that is purposeful, that breaks beyond the containers that society may want to put us in. And so, as we look at Jeremiah's story, I think all of us should recognize that God is calling us even in 2021, even in the midst of complexity, to recognize that we are able to practice hope and devotion for the well-being of others. And I've seen it here in our own community, where even in the midst of the pandemic, we have had a church that has been able to see not just the boiling uh, difficulties of the world, but has been partners with our community, 
partners with school districts, partners with the Salvation Army, partners with charities. I have seen you in the midst of your own difficulties, in the midst of your own grief, uh, covet, excuse me, covenant to go and be with those who are isolated. Take food to those who are hungry. Pray for those who are discouraged. I have heard the stories of how you have lived that tension between the boiling pot and between the almond rod. And I believe that as we read the book of Jeremiah, and as we hear the word and the call of God, we can also mimic divine love so that even in the midst of difficulty and complexity, even in the middle of frustration, we can learn to see every human being as a beloved child of God. Warped, yes, broken, perhaps, misshapen, twisted by genetics or abuse or neglect or accident, but beloved, and achingly treasured by God. We can learn to see rightly, to perceive as God sees. We can learn to see farther. We can learn to see the ultimate redemption and transformation and glorification that is going to one day be accomplished by divine affection that will one day be accomplished in Christ's return. And in the meantime, we can participate in the divine hunger for reconciliation and we can partner with God. Let me leave you with a final quote from Peterson in his book. He says, by means of the blossoming almond and the boiling pot, we are trained, and I love this word of training because we have uh, made this uh, turn and we are convinced here at the Walla Walla University Church that we are disciples of Jesus and we practice the way of Jesus, which is an idea of training, training our imagination, that we are trained to live with a keen edge of hope and to never be intimidated by evil. For if we are going to live in God's image, Alive to all that is God, open and responsive to all he is doing. We must trust in his word and trust what we do not see. So my friends, if you started this year reading the Bible, going through a reading plan, but you've now given up, I'm going to implore you to go back to reading, to listening, to sitting with God, so that your imagination can be trained to hold the tension of the almond tree and of the boiling pot, and like Jeremiah, to walk in the fullness of God's calling for your life. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.